So now let's turn our attention to the preaching of the Word of God. And before we do that, let us pray that His Spirit would help us to understand, to be attentive, and that these words would sink deep into our hearts. Our Father and our God, we come to your word, and we know that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from your mouth. And Lord, we pray that in troubled times like these, the words of God would be a fixed anchor tying us to the rock of Christ. Father, may your church wield the sword and the shield and all of the spiritual armor. But we remember your son in the wilderness and every time the enemy thrusted and parried that the Christ said these words, it stands written. And Lord, we know it does stand written today. Your word is forever settled in the heavens. Lord, I pray that you would banish all distraction and that your Holy Spirit would have his way in me and his way in all hearers. That, Lord, holy business would be done this morning. This we pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. We're reading from Romans 8.14, verses 14 through 25. Hear now the word of God. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. That the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit. (laughs) 
groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. The word of God. Assurance of salvation is the fruit that grows out of the root of faith, says Stephen Sharnock. We sing the song, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is Mine. Now, none have assurance at all times. Ezekiel Hopkins said, It's like a walk that is shaded with trees and checkered with light and shadow. Some tracks and paths are dark, and some are in the sunshine. Such is usually the life of the most assured Christian that there will be times when your assurance is bright and other times when it fades. Assurance of salvation can be either false or true. Some think they are saved when in reality they are not. And they will hear, too late, the words, the shocking words of the Christ, depart from me for I never knew you. They that thought they had saving faith were mistaken. They had false assurance. Others are truly saved, but they wrestle with doubts about their salvation. Their uncertainty causes them a lot of anxiety and grief. They're like insecure children who are living in a loving home with a good, good father who they irrationally fear will disown them. They miss out on the joy of experiencing the Heavenly Father's love. They're unable to come to God with assurance like that because they're looking at themselves too much. They need true assurance. Romans 8 is about assurance as it leads to adoption. If you're walking in the flesh but think you are saved, this chapter will jar you to examine your own heart. Only those who walk according to the Spirit can have true assurance that they truly belong to Christ. One of the ministries of the Holy Spirit is to assure us that we are children of God. In the New Testament, assurance rests on three precious pillars. Number one, have you abandoned all trust in your own good works so that you're trusting in Christ and in Him alone for right standing with Him? If you're trusting in Christ plus something else, That's not saving. The second pillar is, if your faith is genuine, then you possess new life in Christ, and that new life 
always results in different thinking and different behavior. Is your behavior and your thinking changed from before Christ? And is it being changed going forward? There'll be evidence in your life that your heart is changed. You'll love him more and want to love him more. You'll be serious with the things of God. You will hunger for his word. And the third pillar is the inner witness of the Holy Spirit, who testifies we are children of God. It's subjective. It's experiential, but it's based on the objective word of God. Paul gives us the signs of true assurance in Romans 8, and one of those is adoption. Adoption? What's that? Well, like the Apostle Paul, I am a tent maker. I don't mean that I make tents. I mean that I'm co-vocational. For those of you who don't know me, I am a practicing lawyer and I have been for the last 35 years. And I can tell you that the only happy thing that happens in a courtroom is adoption. There a little girl or a little boy comes before the court and becomes a true child of their adopting parents. It is one of the most beautiful things you'll ever see. And I'll never forget Tony Pales. Tony Pales is a little girl, cute and sweet, and there she was, sitting on the judge's lap in that austere black robe, and she turned around and said to the judge, Do you like my Tony Pales? I like my Tony Pails. The heart of everyone in that courtroom melted that day. Like justification and sanctification, adoption accrues to believers by virtue of their union with Jesus. Remember, we said every blessing that comes from the Christ comes by way of union with the Christ, and that union with Christ is a faith union, you see. Adoption is an act of the free grace of God, and in and for his only son, Jesus, whereby all those that are justified are received into the number of his children, have his name put upon them, the spirit of his son given to them, are under his fatherly care and dispensations, admitted to all the liberties and privileges of the sons of God, made heirs of all the promises and fellow heirs with Christ and glory, says the Westminster Larger Catechism. That's a mouthful. Adoption is a one-time definitive act, and it flows from the work of Jesus Christ. Formerly, you were God's enemy. And then you're brought 
into the family of God by virtue of justification in Christ. You have become a child of God. And the funny thing is, people think that we're all children of God. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that we all, outside of Christ, are enemies of God. We're at enmity with Him. And we're under His wrath. And it's only when you're truly saved that you become a child of God. Now, on Mars Hill, Paul talks about children of God. And he means, quite simply, that we're offspring of God because we're all created by God. But it doesn't mean we have a proper relationship with him unless and until we're in Jesus Christ. Amen? You get that? Bedrock truth right from the Bible, okay? Of all the benefits that we receive from Jesus, adoption is the one that's probably most overlooked. Think about it. If you are a saved person right now, you are a son or a daughter of God. You are his child. You can reach out to him anytime, and he'll always be there. And one day, he'll receive you into his arms, and you will say, if I had known, I would have done so much more down there. Right? Faith is so important, folks. Right now, we can't see much. These are just words coming at you. But with faith, they are realized. Get it? They are made real because they are real. Now, all who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons and daughters of God. All who are led by the Spirit of God are adopted. Are you led by the Spirit of God? And you would say, yes, I am. I was going to go to this college but the Spirit told me to go to that college. I was going to buy that car, but the Spirit told me to buy that car. That's not what he's saying at all. He's saying in context this. You have to go back to verse 13, which was not part of the passage we read. We expounded that last week. But listen to verse 13. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Notice the word for. Paul is explaining that no one who is living according to the flesh kills his sin. But if the Spirit leads you to kill sin in your life, you're adopted. Is the Spirit leading you to kill sin in your life? Notice how it's passive. For if you are led by the Spirit of God, you want to overcome those sinful habits of yours? 
Not only do you use human effort, but you pray to the Lord that his spirit will help you overcome those sinful habits. We need to be about killing sin in our lives. It's like those noxious weeds that grow in your garden. You don't want them. They're not there. They suck the nutrients out of everything else, but they need to be taken out by the roots. And the Spirit of the living Christ is the one who leads us to kill sin. And if we don't kill sin in our lives, we'll have some big problems, won't we? Listen to this. John Murray said this. John Murray was a great theologian. How many have heard of John Murray? He uh, used to teach at Westminster Theological Seminary. He had a glass eye, and his students used to say that it was in his glass eye where there was a dent of mercy. But he said this, the activity of the believer is the evidence of the Spirit's activity. And the activity of the Spirit is the cause of the believer's activity. You see that? It's a mystery. God gives us the power to kill sin, but we must take action and obey. There are three implications of being sons of God. Number one, we have a similarity of disposition, character, and nature. Right? You're like your father, becoming like your father. So that you may be sons of your father who was in heaven, Jesus said, Matthew 5.45. Number two, sons are objects of special affection. Your kids, oh, you love your kids, but I don't love your kids like I love mine. Everybody loves their kids much more than other kids, right? And as a parent, don't be one of those people that think that the sun and the moon revolve around your kids because you can't see that you're self-absorbed and your own kids. Everybody loves their own kids, and that's the way it should be, right? That keeps you from killing them at night. You look at him, oh, Johnny, he's so sweet. Love to kill him. <laughs> but because you love him so much, you won't, you know. But sons are a special object of affection, sons and daughters. And sons have a title to dignity and advantage. Beloved, we're heirs of riches in Christ. Do I know what those are? No. Do I think that the streets of gold in heaven is metaphorical? Yes, I do. I don't think gold is precious enough, frankly, uh, for, you know, I'm dancing on the streets of gold. Well, good for you, you know. Um, no, I think our very great reward is God himself. And that makes gold look like dirt. Do you remember those pictures back in the days when presidents had some dignity? Like JFK, you know, pictures of him in the Oval Office when Carolyn and John John were playing, some were hiding under the desk. Now, they were children of JFK, so they could just 
see daddy whenever they wanted. They had great privileges. If someone else's kids came into the Oval Office, the Secret Service would have something to do about it. Right? You see the point? You, because you're a child of God, have access to him and have particular, special dignity. There are many more privileges that we could name, but we don't have the time. If you are killing sin in your life on a daily basis, I can tell you without question, it didn't come from you. Because you'd be like, let's do some sin. And if you believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, I ask you this morning, where did that belief come from? From you because you suddenly got smart? No. You were saying no. You didn't care about what evidence there was for the existence of God and Jesus Christ. If you have belief in Jesus Christ, if you believe the gospel this morning, that came from God. It didn't come from you. Amen? And so these are things that fill our hearts with assurance and we know that we're children of God. Hello? Do you know your Father? He knows you. He knows you a lot better than you know yourself. Now, think about this. In America, we adopt kids that, you know, they are poor, disadvantaged, but cute, you know. We like to adopt cute little kids. I never forget, I was down in Guatemala. There was a beautiful Guatemalan girl with blue eyes. And she was like a princess. And the folks down there were so protective of her because they were afraid that Americans were going to come and adopt her because she was so beautiful. In Roman times, uh, people didn't adopt little cute little babies. They adopted excellent young adults. Why? To have them work in the family farms. And so also to take over the bloodline when they had no descendants. But in God, he adopts us worthless human beings. And I'm not trying to say that there is no human dignity. What I'm trying to say is that we were sinners when he adopted us. There was nothing in us that wasn't sinful when he saved us and adopted us. Amen? And I'll tell you one thing, you got to know this cold, just like in law. In law, when you adopt a child, that child is a child of the blood. Nobody can say, well, it says in the will, it goes to my children. But Jimmy was adopted. Doesn't matter. He's adopted. He's as much a child as anybody else. Same thing in the Lord. If you're adopted, you are a true son or daughter of God. Now, God only has one son, amen? Jesus Christ. But he's got a lot of adopted sons and daughters, you and I. And he is our fellow heir. 
And he is the firstborn. Amen? He is our elder brother. See all these names? They all fit in the adoption metaphor context. But we are children of God, and that means something. It should mean something to you. I pray it does. If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father, says J.I. Packer. This spirit of adoption causes us to cry out. That's an emotional word. Occurs 40 times in the Psalms. To cry out, Abba, Father. Now, Abba is an Aramaic word, and then Father in the New Testament would be a Greek word. So it's an Aramaic word and a, and a Greek word for Father. Some say Abba in Hebrew families means daddy. But we have to be a little bit uh, careful, right? Because we are to honor God, reverence God, and not be too closely familial. But we do need to be, it's a balance. We need to be both. So it's like saying, dear heavenly Father, dear Heavenly Father, He is our Father. A lot of us had bad fathers, right? We have the sting of knowing that. Of, but this is not like that. You have a Father who is perfect in every way, who loves you, and He is dear, or should be dear, in your eyes. We cry out to Him. We were once children of wrath, but now we're not. We're brought near, and we cry out, Father, Heavenly Father. What a blessing it is. You know that the Jews only used Father 14 times in the Old Testament. And did you know the name for God, Yahweh, was not spoken by Jews and still isn't? And so was changed in the Hebrew Bible to Adonai. Because they felt Yahweh was too holy to say. They would never call him Father. He was too holy. They changed Yahweh to Adonai, which in translation in English becomes Lord. And remember what I told you, when you see Lord in superscript letters in your Bible, it's Yahweh. And so we come to the Lord reverently, but we come to him as children, little children. We are just children. I don't care how wonderful you think you are. You are just a little child. That's all you are. 
That's all you'll ever be. But you are children of the king and heirs of the king. That we are to receive an inheritance kept in heaven for us, kept safe for us. You might say, how can this be? My feelings deny this. Again, it's not about your feelings. It's about your faith in the Word of God. He tells you, believe it. And secondly, your sin can prompt a downward spiral, spiral or anxiety or depression can become unwanted companions of your soul. But the Holy Spirit confirms that we're children of God. And like the old hymn says, may he tune our hearts to sing his praise. Amen? Tune. Sometimes you need a tune-up. You come into church, right? You know you should, so you drag yourself to church. Drag yourself out of bed. Come to church. And worship starts. And your lips ain't moving. And all you can think about is Monday, Monday. But they can't trust that day. Right? By Monday evening. No, no, no. Beloved, let him tune your heart to sing his praise. Amen? Amen. Try, try uh, getting ready on Saturday night. Lay your clothes out. Pray. Tune your heart on Saturday night. The difference will be amazing. We can raise the roof a little bit. Remember like the three little pigs when they were all snoring? The roof went up and down. And up and down. If we praise the Lord, we can have the roof go up and down. Doubts intrude. Feelings vacillate. We wonder philosophically how we can be in touch with God through words. But it's true. The words cause faith. Faith comes by hearing the word, the word of God. And he witnesses by his spirit and our spirit witnesses. It's a joint witness and we need to savor our relationship can you imagine coming home from work fellas if you're out the one out working and your wife makes this beautiful meal and it's very tasty and you just buzz through it you know like a pig and um you don't even taste it because you're just shoveling it down so you can watch the Patriots or something or the Red Sox or read the newspaper if people still do that. Do they? People still read the newspaper? I don't think they have newspapers anymore. Anyway, would your wife say, I spent two hours making that and you ate it like a hog? Yesterday was National Dog Day. Is today National Hog Day? 
thing is, what I'm making the point is, savor your relationship as a daughter and son of God. Savor it. It's beautiful. He's your father. He's always there. You may have lost your, your, your mom or dad. They may have gone on to glory. But your heavenly father is in glory, and he'll never die. He's there for you. He cares for you. He loves you. He'll meet your needs. He'll kill your sin for you. He'll help you through trials and troubles and tribulations. He'll be there always. Amen? Amen. And so, also, it's kind of funny, but did you know that the whole world is groaning inwardly? All of creation is groaning inwardly. The animal kingdom, the rocks, the trees, the mountains, they're all groaning inwardly. Why? Because the fall affected everything. It affected creation, right? You think about the health and wealth prosperity teachers. Have you ever seen one who is 100 years old? Why is that? God's going to give you all this wealth and health and wealth. Can't give you a hundred years? i never seen one walking around a hundred. All of them die. Kind of funny thing, isn't it? But here we are groaning. What are we doing groaning for? We're waiting for Jesus to come back. Even creation. Your dog is waiting for Jesus to come back. He don't know it. But he's groaning. You ever see a sick dog? Dog dying? You have to bring your dog, put him down? Tough, tough experience, isn't it? To watch your dog die? Why is your dog dying? Because of the fall of humanity. Why is your aunt dying? Why is your grandparents dying? Why did these people die? Because of the fall of humanity. And we're all groaning inwardly. And now, as we wait for glory, eagerly wait, for glory, what do we do? We suffer. Let's suffer together. How do we suffer? Why do we suffer? If God is a great Father, if He loves us so much, why do we suffer in this world? Well, because we are living in a fallen world. Number two is this. And I think it was John Bunyan who said, where there are few cares there will be few prayers. We need trials and troubles in our lives to keep us dependent upon God. America came in and we said, we're going to write the Declaration of Independence. We're free from England. We're our own country. So they signed this big document and then everybody thought, I'm going to be independent now. You're not independent from God. The reason why you're breathing right now is because God allows it. The reason why there's electrical impulses in your body that keep your heart beating is because God is pleased to let it occur. You'd be dead in a second if God was not there allowing you to be alive. Beloved, we are all dependent upon God. And we have to learn dependence upon God. 
These trials and troubles help us to do that, to reach out to Him in faith and pray to Him and stay close to Him, right? You know how your kids are downstairs? Look at the kids downstairs. They're running around like crazy people. We love it. It's great. But that's because they know the Father is near. But let me say, if a monster came in, where would they go? They would run to Father or Mother, wouldn't they? Oh, Mom, Dad, did you see that? It's a monster. There's no such thing as monsters, Jimmy. Yeah, that kind of thing. And so, God allows suffering, but it's for our eternal good. Don't you ever forget it. Amen? I can't hear you. <laughs> Sorry, I sometimes get a little water from the shower in my ears. Adoption. You are a son or a daughter of God. How does this apply to you now? How do we live in the light of it? Consider what John Newton said once. Remember John Newton? He was the slave trader who got converted. And then he turned to be a pastor and a hymn writer. He wrote Amazing Grace. He said this. Suppose a man was going to New York to take possession of a large estate and his carriage should break down a mile before the city, which obliged him to walk the rest of the way. What a fool we should think of him if we saw him wringing his hands and blubbering out all the remaining mile. My carriage is broken! My carriage is broken! Your carriage may be broken, but keep going. There's a rich inheritance and eternal glory just ahead in the loving hands of your eternal Good, good Father. Kept for you. So go out there and win one for him. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, and you are our dear Heavenly Father. We love you, Lord. We want to love you more. We want it to be our aim to please you. Help us to kill sin. May your spirit lead us and guide us in that endeavor that we would please you in everything we do say and think. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen.